Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you looking forward to spring? I'm sure most of us are. We nearly had the coldest February on record. We had the third snowiest winter on record. Uh, spring can't come soon enough, it seems, and actually today it kind of feels like it's here. After the first service, when I walked outside, it just felt so amazing to step into the sunshine and feel kind of a spring-like air. It felt so good. One of the best things about spring is the renewal of the earth. Everything in winter is cold and lifeless. Ground is frozen. The plants aren't growing. The trees don't have any leaves. But by God's power and God's timing, uh, everything will, will be changed. The weather warms up. The ground will thaw. The flowers will start blooming. And life will flourish once again. So spring is an exciting time of year. Now, I don't want to be a downer. But uh, we know that that renewal, too, won't last forever. We do live in Winnipeg, after all. Uh, the growth of spring and summer, it will turn to autumn again uh, later on. And so the, the temporary renewal of the earth in spring, it is great. We love it, but we long for a renewal that lasts, a deeper renewal also than just uh, the springtime. We don't just long for a renewal of the earth and the plants. We long for a renewal of this fallen world. We long for a renewal of our nature, which has so many weaknesses, imperfections, and sinful desires. And we long to live in a world that is cleansed and free from all sin and wickedness, all death, and also war. You know what, beloved? This is something that God is working towards. He is working to renew creation. He is working to renew us as uh, humans who are his children. And God is so determined to do this that he even joined himself to his own creation. It truly is amazing uh, what we are studying this afternoon God joining himself to his own creation. This is what the Son of God did uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon, I'll preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Son of God joined himself to his own creation to save and renew this fallen world. We'll look at two main points. First of all, we'll look at the miracle of Christ's conception and birth. And then we'll look at the benefits of Christ's conception and birth. So, Lord's Day 14 continues the Catechism's march through the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is uh, a summary of the gospel. And here we have another aspect of the good news of Christ. Lord's Day 14 begins, What do you confess when you say, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? This is another aspect of the good news of Christ. Well, the answer is the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we refer to as the incarnation of the Son of God. 
So the eternal Son of God taking upon himself a, a true human nature. The infinite second person of the Trinity united himself to a finite human body and soul. The almighty creator of heaven and earth joined himself to his own creation. It is astounding, a work of God. The Bible describes the incarnation of the Son of God in various ways, in various passages. You can read about it in the New Testament Gospels. In Matthew 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then it says, This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel said, What is conceived in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. By his power. And the child conceived in her womb is not just a human, a regular human. He is Emmanuel, God with us, in the person of Jesus Christ. We could also turn to the New Testament uh, epistles that describe this in various ways as well. Holy Spirit writes through Paul in Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And when we think of the creation of the world, often our focus is on God the Father. And that is good. He certainly was the one who created heaven and earth. However, the Son of God was very much active. It says here, by him all things were created. Includes physical and spiritual world, includes angels and humans. And it says that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the whole fullness of God. That's similar to what Paul says in the next chapter, Colossians 2, verse 9. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That short statement captures so well this awesome truth of the incarnation. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity, not just part, not that of an angel, but the totality of of God, what it means. The full content of God, the essence of God with nothing left out. It's there in Christ. And in Christ, this whole fullness of deity lives bodily. He doesn't, didn't just appear to be a man. He really was a man with true flesh and blood as you have and as I have. And there's a good reason why the Bible focuses so much attention on these things. This is at the heart of the Christian faith. Think about the amazing truths in uh, this reality. The first thing is the miracle of Christ's conception by the Holy Spirit. Remember Matthew 1, Jesus had no, or sorry, Joseph had no union with Mary until after Jesus was born. In fact, Mary had 
uh, no union with any man, and yet she became pregnant. It came by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. As it was written, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, there are some people who scoff at the idea of the virgin conception and birth of Christ. They might say, well, that's just impossible. But you know what? These kinds of attacks are actually quite silly when you think about it. Yes, this is impossible ordinarily, but that is the very point. It's impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. And those sorts of intellectual attacks reveal a heart of unbelief. Believing that the virgin conception is impossible assumes that God isn't there. It assumes there are ironclad laws of nature that can't be altered. But if God created the world without the help of man, which he did, then creating a human in the womb of a virgin is no trouble for him. And it isn't. That's what he did in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But why did God do things this way? Why did he have the human nature of Jesus created without the working of a man? Well, there's a problem when humans are created in the normal way with the union of a man and a woman. It's the problem of sin. Every other child in, the history, before, in history before Christ was infected with sin right from the get-go. Right at the moment of conception, sin's pollution is there. But God, by His power, not only created a, a human in the womb of a virgin, but He created that human free from all sin. And so this is the first person in history, Jesus, to be without sin since God created Adam at the beginning. And this is one reason why the Bible calls Jesus uh, the second or the last Adam. Just as Adam was created in God's image in true righteousness and holiness, so was Christ Jesus. Just as Adam was the head of all humanity and those who came after him, so Christ is the head of a renewed humanity. And we read something of that in 1 Corinthians 15. You see there in that chapter a, com a comparison and contrast between Adam and Christ. Uh, listen to verse 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Or verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Of course, when Christ is called the second man, it doesn't mean he's the second man who ever lived. It means he was the second person who was like Adam, a new creation of God. He was conceived and born in true righteousness and holiness. And though he took on our nature, 
We took on all of our weaknesses and pain and suffering in a body subject to death. Though he joined himself to a creation subject to the curse because of man's sin, he himself had no sin. All this is great, of course. We have the last Adam, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. But then there's the greatest truth of all. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, true God. Remember Colossians 2 verse 9 again, in Christ the whole fullness of deity lives bodily. As one translation paraphrased it, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. How amazing that is. This is the miracle and the wonder of the holy conception and birth of Christ. God joined himself to his own creation. Can can you imagine that? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that truly fantastic what God has done? This is the God we serve and worship. This is how determined he is to faithfully carry out his promises. The Son of God being made man. This is how far God is willing to go to save us. That is the miracle of Christ's conception and birth. It brings us to our second point. So that's the miracle of Christ's holy conception and birth. We're now going to look at some of the benefits and there are so many that we could mention. We're going to focus this afternoon on a few of them. Now, one thing Christ's incarnation shows us is the goodness of God's creation and also the value he places on his creatures. Think about it. God was, again, he was willing to join himself to his own creation. And surely that speaks volumes about how God views the world he made. It is truly good. And we may enjoy this good creation as a gift of God. It is His own creation for His glory. And when you think about how valuable God views His own creation too, then it also shows how we should take care of it. We ought to take care of God's good creation doesn't mean taking on a radical environmentalism, but it does mean we treat God's creation with care. We see how much God valued his creation when he joined himself to it. Another main benefit is found in Lord's Day 14, where it says, What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? Well, he is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, he covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. So all of us here, young and old, doesn't matter who we are, we were conceived and born in sin, the pollution of sin within us. Now, King David in the Old Testament, he knew something of this. He said in Psalm 58, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Think about it. 
child can easily speak lies. Maybe you remember your childhood, you say, yes, remember times lying to people. Well, this describes us. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. But David, yeah, David knew this truth was not just for some people, really bad people. It, it applied to him too. He confessed in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, Psalm 51, it's David's psalm of confession after his sin with Bathsheba. And in this psalm, he comes face to face with his sin problem. He knows there's no more trying to hide it as he did for a while after he sinned with Bathsheba. There's no more, no more trying to beat around the bush. He has a sin problem. It's time to confront it. But the thing is, he realizes it's not just a sin problem in the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba. As he examines his life, he realizes the problem runs much deeper. He looks back a year before this, he can see sin in his life then too. And if he looks back a decade before that, the sin problem was, was there as well. And if he reflects on his teenage and childhood years, he knows that things weren't, things weren't right then either. The sin problem goes back even further than that. It runs right to the time of his birth, even to the time of his conception. So it is with all of us. We all have that sin problem. Maybe look at back on your life and you can see it there as you go back in your history. Maybe... If you're an adult, you look at your teenage years and childhood and you shudder at some of the things you did. I'm sure we can see sin right from the very time we can even remember. And that's because we too were conceived and born in sin. Born inherently selfish, attracted to evil desires. But beloved, this is why our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ alone. He is the only person who ever lived who did not have the sin problem that we have. That's what makes him the second Adam or the last Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15 says. Because through the first Adam's sin, we too were conceived and born in sin. But through the last Adam's perfect righteousness, Sin in which we were conceived and born is covered in the sight of God. You know, as you look back on your life, it's always tempting to have your past sins define who you are. Maybe think of the sins of your youth, and it's tempting to make that define who you are as a person. We must understand what Christ has done. Christ Jesus now defines our past, our history. 
And when you look at your past, you can now see Christ in your place. And when God looks at your past, you can see Christ, the last Adam, in your place, covering over all of your sins. That is the wonderful benefit we have in Christ. Christ covering our sins all the way back to our youth, even to when we were conceived. There's one more benefit from Christ's holy conception and birth we'll look at this afternoon. Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. It's not only signaled the arrival of our Savior on earth, but it also signaled the beginning of of an entire new world order. You see, right now, everything is subject to corruption, a decay, and death. And life in this broken world can appear so vain and futile at times. Uh, just, just think about the book of Ecclesiastes, which we, we read together from there. It emphasizes this. Perhaps you were even curious why we read Ecclesiastes 6 when it's supposed to be connected to the holy conception and birth of Christ. Well, Ecclesiastes 6, it shows the old order of the world ever since the fall into sin. You look around, there's so much futility, so much frustration, so many things that make you shake your head and say, oh, what's that good for? Just listen to what the Spirit-inspired author writes. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. It lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. Think about it. A man, he makes some very ambitious goals. He works so hard to get so much stuff, and then he actually finally attains everything he wanted, but the enjoyment of it all, it slips through his fingers like he's trying to grasp some sand or even the wind. And he achieved his ambitions, but in the end, it means nothing. It's all wasted. And how many times does that not happen In this life, people reach for the top and make ambitious goals. When they attain it, feel that their life is still empty. The one who only enjoys his stuff is someone else. Later on in verse 7, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Perhaps you can recognize this in your own life. Monday morning comes. The alarm clock goes off, you get up, you go to work, and you work all day to to gain a paycheck. So much of your money is spent on food, especially nowadays. Your groceries only last so long, and the cycle, cycle keeps going. It almost seems futile, meaningless. Why are we living in this cycle? And you know what? If we didn't have God, if we didn't have Christ as Savior, as the last Adam, 
And yes, it would be all vanity and futile. And people who don't know Christ sense this futility, but they can't escape it. You know, in this respect, I can't help but think also of the war in Ukraine. One nation trying to conquer another nation. And in the process, the pain and suffering caused by this war is near immeasurable. And what for? Just for pride? For one man's glory? Is it just about power and even hatred? And people who see it can't make sense of it, and it is senseless. I listened to an interview this past week. A man was asked about the war, and he quipped, I thought in the 21st century we've moved past this idea of one nation invading one, another nation to take it over. Many people have that sense when you have this idea that was somehow we were making progress as a human race. That we were moving beyond the futility of former times. That we were getting somewhere as, as humans. The truth is, our nature hasn't changed apart from Christ. It hasn't gotten better. And so without turning to God, humans will continue to experience the futility of life in a broken world. And they can't escape it. This is the good news of Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the last Adam. He came to free us from this futility. See, his conception and birth, it changes everything. It represents an entire change and a whole new world order. Yes, it's still a broken world. In that sense, the order of things has not changed but his conception was the beginning of, of creation's renewal. As he was conceived perfectly in the womb of Mary without sin, uh, the brokenness of this life was broken. And the futility of this life has been taken away for believers in Christ. The Son of God came to his, join himself to his creation to renew this fallen world. And listen to what we read from 1 Corinthians 15. See, just as we have borne the likeness of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, a perfect man. And saved in the womb of Mary, we will bear his image. And Christ's holy conception and birth is the start of that new creation. We will bear his image, that perfect image. And though much sin and weakness, Though much sin still clings to us now, we will share in that perfect nature. And though we experience sin or sickness and pain and suffering now, we will share in His glorified state. See, 1 Corinthians 15 contrasts the old order of things as described in places like Ecclesiastes 6. And the one that is coming. You see, unless Christ returns before it happens, we will all die. When we are buried, we are like seeds sown in the earth. We are sown as perishable creatures in dishonor and in weakness. But when we are raised by Christ, the last Adam, we will be raised in the same state he has now. 
We will be raised as imperishable creatures, with glory, with power, raised into immortality, with a perfect nature. And there's one more amazing thing about all this. Our resurrected state will be even better than what Adam had before the fall into sin. It will be better. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we will be given a spiritual body. That doesn't mean we'll be uh, have some kind of ethereal body like a ghost or something like that. Uh, we will have physical bodies, Christ himself does. But our bodies will be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. We will be enlivened by the Spirit at one with the Spirit of God. Our bodies will be made fit to live that eternal existence in God's presence. This is something Christ, the last Adam, came to give us. It began in his conception and birth. And this is something even Adam he did not have before the fall into sin. Yes, he was created in the image of God and true righteousness and holiness, but Adam was not filled with the Holy Spirit as we will be in the new creation. And this is what is coming for you who believe. A whole new world order is coming. The futility of this life has been broken by Christ. Now, how can we break free from the vanity described in Ecclesiastes? Well, Ecclesiastes later on tells us one way. It says, fear God and keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. I don't know if you caught it or not. 1 Corinthians 15 shows us another way. Christ has brought in a new world order. He began it with His holy conception and birth. He secured it with His resurrection. He will complete it with His return. That's why the last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, can say, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 73, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.